listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. And you're listening to Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks to everyone for joining us again for first Friday Q&A. So episode 203, Mark, this is my first Friday Q&A. This is the first Friday Q&A. This is the first time we've used our podcast table. Yep. We actually could not find the perfect table since this is the number one podcast in the world in oil and gas. It needs the, the best furniture. And so what did we do? Bought a six foot piece of wood and I stained it, sanded it and stained it and all that. We built our own podcast table. Yep. Yeah. Actually, maybe we'll get some pictures out on social media. It came out really well. And speaking of coming out really well, it's really well when you support the show by leaving us a review. So I got a five-star review from HPHIGGS from the U.S. Great podcast. However, a note about numerals. Guys, Eric numbers are a misdemeanor. These numbers were invented by the Indians from India, including the concept of zero in the decimal system. Arabs copy them and pass them on to Europe. It's got to be the biggest intellectual theft in the last two millennia. Read it on Wikipedia. And you know what, Paige? That's so random. I don't even know what he's talking about. <laughs> I do. On a show a long time ago, I was talking about the Middle East and some of the great stuff that's come out, some of those, the ancient cultures there, one of which was Arabic numerals. Uh, and I actually found out because of... A-P-H-I-G-G-S, that that was actually stolen. Long time ago in history. I actually went back and did the research. He's absolutely right. So you know us. When we make a mistake, we always try to correct it. So thank you for writing in and letting us know that we gave credit to the Arabs for inventing Arabic numerals, and we shouldn't have. Oh, okay. Yeah. And since this is a first Friday Q&A, it's time for the questions. You know the drill. You ask us stuff. We help, try to help answer questions and educate our audience. The goal is not to stump us. Paige, let's get in the first question. Okay, so it's from Anonymous, and the question is, oh, Paige, would you like to marry me, become my wife? That's awkward. <laughs> wow, and definitely a first. I will have to politely decline, but thank you. Yeah, I think you've made it when people give you marriage proposals in the first Friday Q&A. Yeah, that's a little weird. <laughs> yeah. And I actually know who this is. And he asked me a little bit later to not mention his name because of some business dealings he's doing. But I just thought it was cute that he asked you to marry him. Yeah, yeah. So I guess there's more to this than just we have a, a marriage. Question. Yeah, marriage proposal. It says, due to Corona, is crews stuck on ships? Ship owners and operators are complaining about this here in the Netherlands, crew can't be replaced. Is there no flight and no allowance to go on shore, at least here? But I don't know if that's necessarily a question. So English is not his native language, ah. but he's really good. But if you keep on reading. Hence the Netherlands, right? Yeah. Okay. But how are oil firms and transporting firms fixing this? A ship with containers has some safety issues, can cause massive problems, but oil tankers are way more problematic. How are they fixing this? How are they ensuring safety? Yeah. Great question. So the majority of the companies, short term wise are basically not rotating their crews. And so if you were on a two week or three week hitch and you were supposed to be rotated, have a new crew come in, place you and you were supposed to go home, you're just not going home. That is not a long term strategy, but that's what you're seeing going on in the production platforms in the Gulf of Mexico in the North Sea and then in the shipping industry. Big shout out to Tidewater Marine, another one of our sponsors. I, I get the information straight from the largest offshore vessel operators in the world. 
The bigger question is how they're going to handle this long-term wise. They can't page, just keep the crews on the boats forever. Well, no, they need to go see their family and all that. I mean, yeah. and so what some of them are doing now is they're implementing testing. And so what they're doing is they're staging. So let's say you're just, you should have a crew rotation this week, but you put it off for two weeks. What they've done is the crew that was supposed to rotate in this week, they will test them for COVID-19 and then park them in a hotel without outside contact for, I think, 10 days and test them again. And if they're clean, then they're going to rotate the crews. And I think that's a good longer term solution. It keeps everybody safe. Now, in, it adds cost because now you're taking people from home, put them in a hotel before you stick them on the vessel. But I think it's the right thing to do. Incur some costs, make sure your crews are kept safe, make sure your business keeps running. So, Well, and I did read somewhere today that they found their first person with COVID-19 out in the North Sea. Yeah. Yeah. There's been several cases in the Gulf of Mexico. I think there's been one confirmed in the North Sea. Yeah. And once again, they're going to have to quarantine those people. They're going to have to wait the right amount of days to see if the virus manifests itself. They're going to have to test. And then if everybody's clean, they go back. What it's going to do is slow things down and add another layer of cost, but it is the safest way to do it. So next question. From Amanda Ross with Philip 66. Hey guys, I love the show. I wish you would get back to publishing weekly. First off, that's definitely going to happen because I'm pretty consistent with my timing. Yeah, Amanda, that's a problem is now solved. Trust me. Yeah. My question is, what do you see as the future of refineries in the U.S., both short-term COVID-19 lockdown and longer-term? Keep up the awesome content. Thanks, Amanda. Yeah, thanks, Amanda. So the cool thing is, so you notice her role as a scheduler. So she's involved in those turnaround outage programs. She's the one that's actually dealing with the Gantt charts and the critical pass. And uh, Oh, Gantt charts. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and the Primavera. Short-term wise, it's really interesting. So because the refineries and the petrochemical plants are idling down or some of them even starting to shut down because there's no money to be made, this would be the ideal situation to do a turnaround. So planned outage, and if the audience doesn't know, a turnaround is when you plan to bring a part of a refinery down to do maintenance and repair. And it's a very expensive part of the business for, for refineries for downstream. And so right now would be the ideal time to do it because you're not making any money anyway. So you're not going to lose the money from lost product that you aren't manufacturing. The problem is the COVID-19 thing. So when you do a turnaround, you go from having, you know, two or 300 employees on the, at the refinery to maybe two or 3,000. Most of those are contractors. How do you deal with that with this COVID-19 thing? The answer is you can't. Yeah. And so ideally, we could start using this time to do some turnaround and some outages. It's not going to happen because we can't just test enough people. And I've heard some very interesting stuff. We're, we're actually sort of plugged into this uh, downstream world. And even things like safety reports, who used to be circulated through the, the company and you have three or four people sign off of it before it was official, they're not doing that. They don't want three or four people to touch anymore. So people are now signing electronically. It used to be when you did inspections, you would have a third party actually follow you around to verify your not inspections. Anymore. They're not doing that. So it's really interesting short-term wise to watch it change the business. Long-term wise, this is not the last time we're going to have a pandemic. And so this is going to be a new risk that the downstream part of the industry is going to have to figure out how to mitigate. And I'm telling you, Paige, I think a big part of this is going to be technology. I think when you can bring people in remotely, I think when you have robotics involved, all of a sudden COVID-19 doesn't care if you made a gears and batteries. Right? That's true. And so you could have somebody safe back at home on the other side of the world operating a lot of this equipment and it would work. The problem is a turnaround and the outage is extremely complex. Every refinery is different. 
Anybody that works in a refinery out there is going to laugh when I say this, but no matter what the as-built say, nobody really knows where all the steel is. The other thing, longer term-wise, is you're seeing some things happen. A big shout-out to the Meridian Group. You know, they're building that new Davis refinery, and it's it's sourced. So the refinery is built where the hydrocarbons are, in this case, North Dakota, and it's so automated. That might be the wave of the future where, where it makes sense for the Valeros and the Exxons, instead of upgrading existing refineries, start building new refineries to the point that you need very few people to run them. That may be where we're going with this, Amanda. I tell you this much, though, Amanda, I would love for you to reach out to me and, and we could have an off-the-record discussion about how you know P66 is handling this. Because I, I suspect y'all fall on the same boat. I suspect that you would love to do some turnarounds right now, but you just your HSD people won't let you, rightly so, because of this COVID-19 thing. But thanks for the shout-out, Amanda. Hopefully that was helpful. All right. Next question is from David Allison with Churchill. Mark, what do you have done with the podcasting and oil and gas is incredible. I've been following you for years. And to watch you grow and expand is very motivating. I want to start podcasting myself, but every time I turn the mic on, I get very nervous. Hey, David, let me tell you about some nervous. <laughs> and I'm not sure that anyone would want to listen to me. Any tips or advice? So Paige, let's you and I talk to this. So you came on board a very long time ago as a project manager. Yeah. And I had a company reach out to me and said, hey, we want to sponsor a podcast. And it made sense for them. And I needed a host. And I knew in my hearts of hearts that you had the talent to do it. Thank but I you. also knew you were scared. Oh, right? yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I and mean, it's, it's still nerve-wracking to this day. Yeah, what people may not know is, Paige, you're actually an introvert, aren't you? Incredibly introverted. And it's a struggle for you sometimes to get in front of a group of people or a crowd. But if you turn the microphone to one-on-one, you all that kind of goes away. It absolutely goes away. Yeah, yeah. So my advice to you, David, is everybody gets nervous. Most of my podcast hosts are introverts. You wouldn't think so. Just do it, dude. Turn the microphone on. And, and, and it's going to suck. Let me tell you, it's going to suck. If you go back and listen to my old episodes, they're not up to par by any means. But now I think I've done a lot better. You have done a lot better. than the, And this is what we tell all of our podcasts. Paige is also our training director. So all of our new hosts, she's the one that gets them up to speed. Everybody in the beginning is really bad. I'm sorry. Even myself. You go back and listen to my early episodes, it's cringy. But you got to do it, David. And the more you do it, the better you'll get at it. The other thing I will give you is instead of trying to do a podcast on something that you think will fit in the market, do something you have a passion around. And I don't care what it is. If you like to bake bread, if you like to work out, if you're a big cyclist, if you're a duck hunter, whatever, build your podcast around something you have a passion around. And that what happens, that passion comes out in the conversations. I mean, I've had a lot of people tell me, it's like, Mark, we can hear it in your voice. You love this industry, but it's true. So that would be my first bit of advice, David. The other thing is don't spend a whole bunch of money on gear. You know, you'll have people tell you that you need $1,500 microphones. You don't. Our microphones are what, Paige, 80 bucks? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, and we use a digital recorder. So I think that's the most expensive of the bed. It's I think that's about about four five hundred dollars. Yeah, we use high end digital recorder, but I mean, literally, David, buy a decent microphone. I mean, we use Audio Technica. Yeah, two thousand five, and we use the Zoom digital recorders. Make sure you have separate tracks. The other thing is interview style podcasts are actually really much easier to pull off because your guest is creating a lot of the content for you. You just have to listen. Go ahead and open your iTunes account. Go ahead and put your episodes out there, and then here's where you could think I'm crazy. I think in the very beginning, you should get a sponsor, even if that's only $20 a month. The reason I think you should get a sponsor is twofold. Number one, most podcasts fail around the seventh episode because life gets in the way. If you do the podcast as a hobby and all of a sudden you got to work overtime or your wife's traveling, you got to watch the kids, you're not going to do the podcast. Whereas if you have a sponsor, you're contractually obliged to produce the episode. It's going to make you do it. And you got to get through that 10 or 15 or so episodes before you actually get in your groove. 
the other thing about sponsors, it helps covers the cost. The cost of doing a podcast is not much. You need podcast hosting, you need a website, you need to buy some gear. But it's nice if, if your sponsor helps cover some of that stuff for you. So go out and get a sponsor. David, just go ahead and start recording episodes. Get them out there. Know that you'll get better as you go on. And I'll tell you what, when you launch your show, reach back out to us. We'll give you a little free publicity. Hey, yeah. And then also my recommendation is definitely get an audio editor because people like me don't like to hear their own voice. Yeah, it actually, that's a good good point. So as we grew, my entire team literally breathed this collective sigh of relief when we hired our first editor. Well, used, you're the only one not editing anything. Yeah. So everybody, Paige included, used to edit their own audio. And so most of the work, I would, what do you say, Paige, 85, 90% of the work is the editing part? Oh, yeah, by far, by yeah. far. So if you can get an editor, it takes that workload off of you. I would start someplace like Fiverr and look around. You can get good editors outside of the U.S. much cheaper. You can get inside the U.S., but even in the U.S., you can find some good editors for a decent price. You know, I would think for a half-hour podcast, you know. Well, it depends on how much of a perfectionist you are. Yeah. But yeah, as soon as you can get an editor, once again, back to the point of getting a sponsor so you can pay for the editor. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Thanks. And seriously, Dave, when you launch, let us know. We'll give you some promotion on our channels. All right. So the next question is from John Franklin, and he's a director at Honeywell. Guys, your show is on my must listen list. I have learned so much from you both, and it helps with my day to day interactions and our oil and gas customers. You have been a big following. You have a big following here, and I love your work. My question is during this double black swan event in the oil industry, what do you think the industry will look like in the next few years when we come out of this? Yeah. And if you don't know what John's talking about, black, double black swan, for the first time in the history of industry, we're getting banged at both ends. It's We literally have this low crude price environment. So upstream is suffering and service companies are suffering. And then at the same time, because of the lockdown from COVID-19, downstream is suffering. The demand for refined products is, is decreased dramatically. What do I think it's going to look like when we come out of this? We're going to be a different industry. I had this conversation today with somebody. I think we're going to go through 10 years of maturity and evolution in this industry in the next 24 months. So I think we're going to come out exceptionally lean, a huge adopter and user of technology. I think the way we finance projects is going to change. I think even the way contracts are written is going to change. It's going to be a different industry, but it's going to be a better industry. And we just have to get through this period. The other thing is we've learned as an industry as we went through this. And if anybody understands how to mitigate risk, <laughs> the best. It's our industry. It's what we do literally day in and day out. So this will be another risk, a mitigation risk that we'll have to take care of. I am really hopeful, and I think I've talked about this on other shows, in that for the first time ever, the US and Saudi Arabia, or basically OPEC and Russia, have come to an agreement. And I'm hoping that agreement can stick after this COVID-19 thing, because if we all are in agreement on what we need to do, how much we need to produce, when we need to back off on production or speed up production, be able to keep prices consistent, which is what everybody wants. And so it may be this is the last low price downturn that we ever go through as an industry, which would just be incredible. And it'd be almost ironically funny that it took a plague. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> to, to make us come to the table and come to an agreement. But there's a real chance that it's going to happen. I, In my wildest dreams, and I'm, you know, I'm the guy that does the predictions every year. I've been doing it forever. I never consider the possibility of us, Russia, and OPEC come together in agreement. I think it's a wonderful thing. So we're doing it now. Let's hope that the agreement sticks and everybody sees the benefit of working together in the future. Awesome. All right. So next question is from Susan Bagg. I think it's a good guess. I apologize if I butchered it. VP at Crestmark. Paige, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. 
I'm a big fan of your industry leader show, and it's nice to see you here as well. Go, girl. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) She spelled girl G-U-R-L. I know. (laughs) I'm curious about something. Oil and gas companies operate with disparate infrastructure and isolated locations around the world, including offshore oil rigs. With constantly changing regulations, oil and gas companies are subject to a variety of rules that differ according to the region and type of assets. How the heck do companies stay updated on the latest regulations, including those specific to each region in which they operate? Keep up the awesomeness. Well, that's kind of my forte, huh? It's absolutely your forte. <laughs> well, and my experience is only in the United States. So basically, it's it's a bunch of email. You sign up for a bunch of emails and you just get alerted. And that, when it comes to federal stuff, that really starts with regulations.gov. Yeah, and it, but Paige, to your point, the way that companies do this is they have people or teams whose job it is to do nothing but stay on top of regulations, right? right? Yeah, that's exactly what I used to do. Yeah. And so that regulatory compliance can be a single person in a little office in a small operation, or it could be a floor of 100 people because it's that complex. This isn't something that's easy to figure out. It's one of the things I've seen a lot of smaller operators do on land in the, during the shell boom is they don't understand the regulations. And so they'll drill wells or they'll buy wells and not understanding what is in the past and the fact that they're, they're actually owning the liability now. And without a regulatory compliance person, they're lost. Well, right. Yeah. Because I mean, there's there's times where there's a regulation that doesn't that's not for your company and for the industry. And so they open it up for comments. Yeah. And it's th- everything from, you know, what was done in the past, what were the the well diagrams, you know, where's the water going? What's how do you measure the storage tank? Who approved what? And then you have all these different layers of federal regulation and state regulation, which are different on land than it is offshore. Right. It just depends on where your assets lie. Yeah. And so it, it's a very complex problem. And so the solution is to have very bright people in your regulatory department, making sure they stay on top of this. And then quite honestly, I've seen it a couple of times where regulations have changed and an operator in good faith did not know they were changed. And the regulatory body gave them some leeway. Like, okay, you should have done this three months ago. We'll give you an extra month to become compliant. And then everything's kosher. Oh, yeah. That's usually whenever you get hit with an incident of noncompliance. They give you about, I think it's 14 days to, to at least respond. And then they'll give you the amount of time based off of the situation on when that need, it needs to be corrected. So Yeah. So in my experience, and Paige is way more experienced than I am, but my experience, the regulatory bodies are just trying to make sure things are enforced fairly for the environment and for the people. They're not out to make money. A lot of, I've heard a lot of people say, oh, they just want to make fines. That Those fines don't go in their pockets. Right? It goes into their funds. And they're really just trying to make sure everybody's operating safe and effectively. Yeah. And, and to the point of last week when we spoke about the Railroad Commission, they actually pretty sure they decided not to do pro any rate. pro yep. rate and they waived a bunch of fees. And so that's what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And to your point, you're actually seeing regulatory bodies here. I've seen it here in Louisiana and Wyoming do what they can to decrease the cost of the operators during this, right. this lean time, which is not only nice of them, but it shows you how much they're supporting the industry. Just because they're the watchdogs of the industry doesn't mean they're an enemy of the but industry. But it doesn't mean they're not going to penalize your ass. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. So so hopefully, uh, Susan, that answered your question. Oh, she's a VP. She can be on industry leaders. Hit me up. Page.wilson at OGGN.com. And next question. It's from Tom Anonymous. <laughs> I don't think this really is last name. I don't think so either, but it'd be funny if it was. This is the first time I've ever written in, but I love what you're doing for the industry, and I learn something new on every podcast. The reason I am reaching out is that I am in, in an ethical situation. 
What should I do if I know 100% that my company falsified documents on a lost time incident? Oh my gosh. That involved an employee getting hurt pretty bad. During this these horrendous times in our industry, I don't want to add another financial burden to my company. But at the same time, it really bothers me that some senior people would do this. I really wish I could unsee and unhear what I found. Please help. This is touchy. Tom, I feel I know the position you're in. Yep. You're not just worried about your company. You're worried about yourself, your coworkers. Oh, specifically whomever this happened to. And Right. And probably the family of who this happened to. All I can tell you, Tom, is what I would do, and I am not in your situation. I'm just sitting here, you know, recording a podcast. But bottom line to me is I always try to do the right thing. And in this case. Not the good thing, the right thing. Right. Right. Or not the easy thing, but the right thing. I think in this case, I think you have to do the whistleblower thing where you report your company. It's totally anonymous. Nobody in your company will find out, you know, what happened. But the thing that really bothers me is is these type of things where, where people change data or misconstrue or hide stuff typically means it's not the first time it happened and it, which means it won't be the last. And for me personally, I would have a hard trouble living with myself if I knew I could have prevented this from happening to future people just by pulling the trigger now. Yeah. You know, but dude, I totally get the position you're in. There is no wrong choice here. But for me personally, I would I would pull a whistleblower thing and I would let the right authorities know what has happened. Yeah, I mean, that's all we can really say. Yeah. Do the right thing. Uh, so, Tom, hopefully it helped. Trust uh, your gut. How about that? Let's tr- trust your gut. Yeah, trust your gut on that one. But um, well, that's a heavy question. Yeah. Wasn't expecting that. All right. So, next question is from Fred Hayes, marketing director at Weir. I love what you're doing. I'm starting to lose track. How many oil and gas podcasts do you have? And will you ever stop growing? Page is a nice addition, by the way. Thanks, Fred. <laughs> That's going to be your new nickname, Nice Edition. Nice Edition. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a 70s hair band. <laughs> I was going to say, it sounds like an HGTV show. <laughs> or that too. Mm. Paige, can you, I, I don't think I can rattle off our show. I think we are up to nine, nine with officially 11 more in the works for sure. Will we stop growing? Not right now. Yeah. Um, and so I'm actually in the process of cheating. What you're going to look? Okay, so oil and gas this week, oil and gas HSNE, oil and gas industry leaders, oil and gas tech, Permian Perspective, oil and gas onshore, offshore, oil and gas legal risk, oil and gas pitch podcast. What am I missing? Did you do HSNE? Yeah, that was the second one I did. Yeah, that's pretty good. So I was looking at my notes to find that I didn't look at actually rattled it off off memory. I didn't look at it at anything. Well, I've been here long enough. You think I would know these things? Yeah. So we have nine podcasts as of now. We have, I think, three more that are going to launch relatively soon, and I think seven more for this year. So, Fred, are we ever going to quit growing? Yeah, but we said eleven last year, but we only popped off what four or five. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's there's it varies per sponsor. Well, it, it varies per what's going on in the business world. It, believe it or not, the amount of companies that want to sponsor a podcast now in this COVID-19 lockdown thing is probably 100% more than won it before mm-hmm. COVID-19, whether that sticks or not. But by the end of this year, we'll be 17 to probably maybe even close to 20 podcasts. And if oh. life's getting back to normal, we'll start back with our live events. We're starting to enjoy this webinar stuff. We have some new things in the works that'll be fun. So will we, will we ever stop growing? No, it, it may change what we're doing, but we're making a difference. We're having fun. We're making money, and you know we're promoting the industry that that we all love to death. So no, we're we're not we're not slowing down. Can't stop, won't stop. <laughs> <What's> next, <laughs> all right. Next one's from Ken Emerson, which is a student. 
Hey guys, I am first year geology student with hopes to go work in the oil and gas industry upon graduation. All my friends and about half of my family tell me that I'm crazy and that by the time I'm 30, nobody will be using oil and gas anymore. <laughs> anyway, that basically, it's an industry on its deathbed. And with what's happening right now, I'm starting to get even more worried. Love to hear your thoughts. So Ken, hydrocarbons will be used till the end of mankind and probably whatever species <laughs> topples us will also be using hydrocarbons. And they make modern life possible. I think I've said this before, but a hydrocarbon to a chemical engineer is like the coolest set of Legos. You can make anything out of it. I mean, literally anything. The microphone I'm talking on right now is made from hydrocarbons. The internet is run on servers, which is made from hydrocarbons. The Tesla is made from hydrocarbons. Now, will we keep using as much hydrocarbons for fuel? No, that mix will change. That last, it always has through human history. I mean, at some point, we thought it was smart to kill whales for fuel, right? And so we got away from that. So the industry is not going anywhere. Will it change? Yeah, of course it will change. We're, we're in the middle of a bunch of change right now. As a geology student, I don't think you have anything to worry about. The one thing I would suggest to you is pick up something else that complements your geology studies that also would set you apart from other geologists in oil and gas. The first thing that comes to mind is like big data analytics classes, that sort of stuff. But also look at things like machine learning. How do you write the algorithms? How do you train the machines? You know, if you pick up some of that science that complements your geology, you're good forever. And then the next thing is once you get into the industry, once you get out of school and you get a job, make sure you never quit networking. Make sure you keep introducing yourself, keep meeting different people, go into network events, even in your own company, go wide. You know, if you end up at some super major somewhere, don't just get stuck in your upstream group of peers and your, your geoscientists. Go see what the pipeline guys are doing. Go see what the refinery guys are doing. Go go learn what the marketing people are doing. And all that stuff will just serve you well. So, Ken, I don't think you have anything to worry about, especially your first year, which means you'll be out around 2023 or so. I think by then the demand for geologists will be through the roof. But it's the world's going to be different in my my generation you know we would go work for a large oil and gas company for 30 years and, and that was our career and then we would enjoy life after when we retired and that's gone which it should be now it's all about are you enjoying your life now while you're working you know so just it's going to be a different industry but it's still going to be an incredible industry and we welcome you welcome you in Ken all right and here's the last question comes from Randy Spencer hey i know that guy I really do. I actually went to homecoming with his friend in high school. <laughs> that's so funny. What are the odds? Yeah, that's yeah, that's pretty funny. His question is, how is the oil industry taking advantage of growth in renewables, parts, products, or overlap? So this is a good question. So, you know, 10 or so years ago, 10, 15 years ago, when BP changed his name to Beyond Petroleum, quite frankly, it was a marketing stunt. <laughs> The oil and gas industry had zero interest in renewables. That's all changed now. Now the large companies are looking to see, can I make money at it? Is it something that should be part of our portfolio mix? In some cases, it really should have. You look at what Equinor and Shell are doing and Chevron and Exxon. It's, it's incredible work. The other thing is there's a big spot where renewables are the perfect solution to a problem in oil and gas. You think about out in West Texas somewhere and you got a couple of wells that are producing and you got some sensors on produced water tanks that have to be able to report back when that tank gets full so somebody go, go empty it. How would you power that? The coolest thing is a battery in a solar cell. Yep. You don't have to run wires. You don't have to worry about factory power. You have to worry about a generator. I've actually seen that a lot. We use it a lot. We use it a lot offshore. Yeah. The other thing that's going on is 
you're starting to see wind farms offshore take that energy straight to the oil rig. So instead of the oil rig having to run diesel gensets, which has its own list of environmental concerns and logistic nightmares, if you have wind blowing constantly, which happens offshore, why not put a windmill up and use it for your powering your rig? And so it's, it's really interesting how we're using renewables in the industry as day-to-day. And that's not anything new. I mean, they've been solar cells out in pipelines for the last 30 years. Actually, it's such a big thing in our industry that one of our new podcasts that we're launching will be the Oil and Gas Renewables podcast talking about this exact thing. I don't want to discuss who the sponsor is, but they're kind of big. But the flip side is you're seeing things like ExxonMobil invest in bioengineering and algae, where the algae itself is creating hydrocarbons, but it grows in brackish water. Well, what's brackish water? Produce water. Yeah. So you're coming up, the industry's coming up with solutions with renewables that help everybody. It helps the industry lower their operating costs. It makes things safer, makes things more environmentally friendly. Now, with all that said, on the investment side, you're starting to see companies talk about divestifying from fossil fuels. And what I've seen here in the U.S., especially in Europe, is it's really just talk. So what they'll do is they'll, they'll have a big investment fund that has a bunch of money in fossil fuels, and they'll divestify. What they do is they actually start a separate company that they then sell their oil and gas assets to, and then that company is the one that actually donates back to the endowment fund. Well, what you really did is put a company in between you and the oil and gas industry so that you can publicly claim you've divestified. I think that is so hypocritical. Same way there's some some tech companies out there that it's are almost cowardly. Yeah, there's some tech companies out there that have dedicated people and budgets to make money off oil and gas and yet publicly they say they're not a fan of fossil fuels. Once again, I think that's hypocritical. But renewables are here to stay. They're great. We use them in an industry in our day-to-day. We'll continue to use them. And I would not be surprised if there's a lot of smart people out there looking at what the future needs in renewables. So things like storage, that's the holy grail for all renewables is, is it's not an economic way to store it. We need a breakthrough battery technology. And I would, I'll put, you know, I'm not going to say how much, I will put money on that when that breakthrough comes through, that battery technology, it came from one of the think tanks from oil and gas industry. Yeah, I don't doubt that by any means. All right, so now it's time for the giveaway, which we, which I think we said this in the last show. We have taken a bit of a break on the actual delivery of the giveaways. We're given critical infrastructure supplies first priority. So us and IBM have decided to still award these shirts, but it's just going to be a little while before we actually start shipping them because we're trying to help out. But you got to go register. We're going to be giving away some really cool stuff. I know I've said that a whole bunch, but we really are. I even know what it is now. And that serial number is everything. Somewhere in the near future, Paige will be saying, hey, if you have serial number 003, you have just won X. And that X is going to be really cool. So go register. It's really easy. The link is in the show notes. If you don't win, you can enter every week. And it's actually become a bit of a, a little bit of a cult. Item. It's actually really cool. And then I don't, I don't even know if I want to ask you this page. I don't know. I was just about to say, let's get to the most depressing part of the, the show. <laughs> What's the weekly rig count? 309. 309. I think last Darn. week. Darn. Yeah, I think last week it was 325. Darn, that's a low number. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think it's going to get lower. Yeah. But speaking of not getting lower, if you want to join us. If you want to join us as part of our street team and be elevated, go to Facebook group. Just search for OGG and street team. It's our all-volunteer group. It basically, help us with our social media. And we just had conversations today about actually putting the T-shirts in production. So the T-shirts are designed. Oh, finally? Finally, yeah. Good. We're actually trying to figure out who we give the production to. We're actually leading to one of our other podcast hosts because it's part of the family. 
But as soon as we go in production, we'll get those things stripped out. But if you do not answer the questions on Facebook to be a part of the street team, you will not be added to the group. I'm the person that does that. Yeah, let's talk about that real quick. So when you go to join, you can't just join. There's some questions, right, to make sure you're a right. real person. And, and, if, and, and, and there's a couple in there that I've I've sent messages to and said, just answer the questions. I just want to know if they're a real person real people right that's really all the that's about yeah unfortunately we've grown so big that we've become a target for bad guys for cyber terrorists we've been well just we just don't want the spam in the yeah. group is yeah. really what it comes down to yeah so answer the questions and you'll be allowed in and then i don't even know what to say about the monthly event email list. i guess once things start going back to semi-normal that we'll start pushing that out again i know that there's a bunch of stuff that's been pushed to, towards the last quarter of the year so like otc OTC was canceled. Oh, that's right. OTC was canceled for the entire year. That's so sad. We were supposed to be there this week. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, go sign up for the monthly events email list. We take all the oil and gas events in one place, put them in your inbox for free. Plus you get stuff the public doesn't see like invitation, private invitation only events, discount, free tickets. We'll also use that list. We're actually getting ready to do another really cool webinar. We'll use that list to notify everybody. So you go sign up. Once things get back to normal, we'll start pushing the newsletter back out to people. Same way with travel. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well tra- let me go back to the, the the monthly events email is if you have signed up for it and you don't see it, check your spam, unspam it. If you don't like it, just unsubscribe. It's really that simple. Yeah. It does sometimes end up people's spams folder. Same way with travel. We're not traveling right now. We hope to resume that. God, I can't wait. Well, guess where we're, we're planning on going in October? Where? Italy. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad <laughs> thing at this point. It's early, so let's see if we actually pull it off. But, you know, eventually we'll start traveling and we'll let you know about that. And the same way with speaking, if you want me and Tim to come to your sales and marketing kickoff, your gun club, your, your student club. organization, whatever, let us know. We can even bring podcasts to you. It's something that everybody loves and it's a really easy conversation to have. So hit me up and I'll share the details with you. This is, of course, is the first Friday Q&A. Thank you for everybody that submitted a question. If you would like to have your question ran on air, go to allandgasthisweek.com, click ask a question. If we decide to use your question on the air, we'll give you a big shout out. While you're out there, go ahead and give us your email address on the website. We promise never to spam you. That's how we let people know stuff first. And finally, join the LinkedIn group. Tim and Alex have blown that thing up. I don't even know what the number is. I'm sorry. LinkedIn every time, page. Mark. Yeah. Every time. This is the change. group. <laughs> this is the group. This is go, not our Go opinion. follow the LinkedIn page, not the group. I will we'll eventually get that down, Pat. Why don't you just do both? While you're LinkedIn, go ahead and follow the group and the page. Sure, why not? All right, Paige. You ready to get out of here? Oh, yeah. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. And here are events on deck. Hi, everybody. Alex here with the events on deck. So obviously, we are in uh, unprecedented times right now and have been unable to carry out our last couple of happy hours that we had scheduled for last month. We have chosen to delay them and we'll continue to update you on when exactly we will be able to have those events again. Obviously, we're following along the recommended guidelines of the CDC and the World Health Organization. So we're really looking forward to seeing you and we're hoping that these events are going to happen sooner rather than later. But for now, stay tuned and we will keep you posted on those dates. Also, just want to say thank you to everyone for continuing to listen to Oil & Gas Global Network. We are fortunate to already have been a virtual company before the coronavirus and all of these issues started plaguing various countries. And we just want to continue bringing you guys the best information and to the best of our ability, keep you informed, especially while everyone is at home or at least most more people than ever before are at home. So 
We just would like to thank you for continuing to tune in and continuing to listen. And we hope that everyone is staying safe and we wish everyone the best. And thanks again. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.